and welcome to Blockchain Gaming World, episode 135. I'm your host, John Jordan, and joining me today, uh, we have Cam Puna, who is the CEO at uh, Pixion Games, based in London. How's it going, Cam? Hi, John. Good to good to be here and good to catch up again. Yes, but it has been a while. Um, so we've got plenty to talk about. Fableborn being the game you've been working on for a while now, and, and uh, are sort of making uh, good progress on that. Uh, but before we, we kick into uh, the game... Uh, there is a bit of news, which is sort of the timing of this podcast. So um, so you just announced a funding round. So uh, what do you want to tell us about your funding round? Yes, obviously, it's it's been a tough market, as I'm sure <laughs> many of our founders and uh, non-founders can testify to. But we're very happy that we've been able to close a round of 5.5 million uh, US dollars. And we've got some incredible investors that have really believed in us, uh, really backed the team, the studio, but also have a lot of fun when they play Test Fableborn, likes of the, the Avalanche Blizzard Fund to Merit Circle, Shima Capital. We've got some some great great guys from Asia like um, Mechanism Capital as well. So really happy with the partners um, that, that we're now surrounded surrounded mm. by. Good, good. How how uh how was it as a process? Don't <laughs> like, like, like stone sometimes, I guess. I mean, it, uh, just for, for people who are not who are not in the space, it's obviously this time last year you would have would, yeah, that would have been a very easy sort of thing to do. Whereas over the last year, obviously, um, you know, just just funding has just absolutely dried up for for, for pretty much uh, yeah, obvious I mean, reasons. So it's, it's definitely the you know the hardest market I've ever personally mm. raised in. Uh, speaking to other founders, you know, there've been term sheets being pulled left, right, and center. Yeah deals that were basically over the line being pulled. So it, it was definitely a, a very, very difficult period. And in between that, you had obviously Luna collapsing, you had FTX and everything else in between. So it was a really yeah. challenging, what's already a challenging uh, experience, right? For any founder, I'm sure, mm. even harder. But uh, like I say, it, I think there's also been a benefit that it, it's really cleared the deck in terms of the teams and the experience of those teams, but also on the other side of the table, the investors, you know, those investors that are really looking for short-term flips mm. uh, and looking for tokens to essentially use as exit liquidity at the expense of the teams and the communities, they're just not there anymore. And so on both sides, you've got teams that really believe in the space that are trying to deliver a new experience, but then you've got investors backing these teams that also have the same amount of conviction. So mm. Strong teams will continue to to raise capital. Uh, the, the benefit I'd say now is that you know there's really credible investors uh, on the opposite side of the table too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's good, looking at the round as well. You got sort of, as you say, sort of a, a good mixture in, in terms of sort of the, the sorts of companies out there. You mentioned the, the geography, but you got a couple of guilds in there. So you got Merit Circle and, and um, 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 is it Ready? Ready, ready player, player now. Um, you've got the Avalanche guys. Obviously, your 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 favorite one is running on Avalanche, so it's good to get, I guess, some some support from the sort of the local ecosystem, and then and then sort of a you know a range of sort of known investors in the space as well, and including a couple of existing investors. So you sort of you sort of tick a lot of the boxes that I guess people look for when they when they look to when I, people like me when they look to dissect funding rounds. Yeah, definitely. Like I say, it was um, it was a really challenging raise, and mm. we. We had to say no to some capital as well. Okay. You know, that's, that's really tough. Good. That's really tough. 
particularly in this market, particularly as a founder when fundraising is, is very difficult anyway. Uh, but we had conviction in, in ourselves, in the game, in the team, but also we had the support. It's easy to do that when you have investors already on your cap table pushing you to say, you know, we, we will back you, find the right partners that will elevate the vision, help you execute on the vision and elevate the studio. When you have that trust, you know, it's, it's easier uh, to, to find the right investors and have the conviction to, to walk away if, if it's not the right partner for you. Yeah. Yeah, man. yeah. Good. So that bit of the, uh, of, of the journey, hopefully done for the, for the time being, um, let's move on, on to Fableborn as a project, but let's sort of go back in time. Cause this is, this is a, you know, you've gone through, you know, a fairly long process. You didn't, you didn't start off with Fableborn. You started off with some things that turned out, turned out in Fableborn, didn't you? So maybe before we go into exactly what Fableborn is, maybe talk a bit about the, what, what you left on the cutting room floor during the process. Our, our journey to Fableborn. <laughs> yeah. There's quite a few, um, games in the graveyard. So we are, are very intentional with what we spend our time on. We've also, we've got a, a really experienced team. So mm. you know, most of us have worked in the industry, mostly free to play yep. for the last 10 plus years, worked on games that have had tens of millions of downloads, hundreds of million in, in lifetime revenue. And we've been in pivotal senior leadership roles in both studios to, to get those games there. And so, although in blockchain, I always say, you know, because there's no playbook to follow, experience doesn't really tell you what to do it, it does tell you what not to do <laughs> yeah. in some instances yeah, yeah. and so we really lean on that uh, and and that gives us a really good radar and barometer to gauge can we build this game to the same scale or, or larger and if we don't have that conviction internally straight away after a prototype we, we kill the game which is always hard to do regardless of whether it's eight weeks or eight mm. months you've been building it and we learn our lessons we do our post-mortem, then we take those lessons in the into the next prototype. And like I say, we've killed five games over the last three years. Okay. Mm. Some that have been 10, 12 weeks into development and we've played it. We've not even stealth launched it. We've played it. And on paper, it sounds great. You know, we're mm. super excited. And we play it and go, ah, actually guys, this, this is not definitely not the one we, yeah. we, we don't have a belief we can build this into a category defining kit. So let's put it to, to one side to actually releasing something. It's in soft launch, it's generating revenue, but we're just not able to scale it and, and we have to sunset it as well. So all of them have that same, let's say framework. So games that have a high skill cap, but so require mastery, but mm. are really accessible and can be played in these short snackable sessions. Yeah have competitive play as a core component to the meta game. Uh, and so we always build around that sort of framework and iterating mm. consistently. Uh, if we do get to a point where we're very bullish on the game, we then essentially build out a, an MVP, put that into a stealth launch and always look at generally four main KPIs, retention, daily play time, number of sessions per player, uh, and then a KPI specific to the game. For Fableborn, it's number of raids per day. Hmm. For other games, it's number of battles, number of matches. And that gives us then a health check on, okay, without any on-chain layer, without any competitive layer or any deep metal progression uh, mechanics, is the core loop just really fun? Is it keeping hmm. players coming back day after day after day? And 
is it a strong base to build those layers on top of? And if we cannot be very confident at that point that it's a yes, and the data is informing us also at this point now, it's a yes, we again kill the game. And so we eventually got to Fableborn. We started to prototype this, this pitch and, and actually the pitch from the team was blending two genres together to create this really diverse meta game for multiple different player personas and player motivations. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and all on paper, that sounded cool. Okay, great. But what's the actual game? And uh, the, the pitch from the game design team was think Clash of Clans meets Diablo mm-hmm. with two main differences. Uh, firstly, in Diablo, those worlds that you're raiding, they're created by you know the studio, us, the game designers, the team. In Fableborn, they're created by players and can be owned by players. So user-generated content is natively part of a core group. You know, mm-hmm. the, the world you build and the world I build, we all raid and there is content for each other. Yeah. Uh, and then the second point is, unlike in traditional base building games, uh, where you drag and drop units when you're raiding and then the experience is quite idle, you watch mm-hmm. the action unfold, here you have complete control. You decide what to attack, how to attack, when to attack. You control that hero. And so the end result is a much more engaging, or we believe a much more engaging raiding experience, much more action-packed, much more watchable, mm. but also uh, much more satisfying because you have so many clutch moments that you've created yourself mm. on the fly. And uh, you know every player will have a different raiding experience. So. That was the, the, the pitch from the yeah. team. We thought, okay, on paper, as always, sounds great, <laughs> but let's prototype this and, and see if it stacks up. Mm. And what we found really early on is we were very excited because we had this really strong self-serving loop is that we'd all build different bases, even if it's with the same late, same units, we'd have yeah. different layouts, we'd have different strategies. Some would try and create a really early block and just try and bombard you with units. Others would try and methodically create a corridor for you mm-hmm. to go down and then bombard you. So it was really interesting to see everyone's strategies change with just a small amount of units. Mm-hmm. But then what was really exciting for us is watching each other raid the same base and mm-hmm. every raid was different. Yeah. And, and that's where we thought, okay, this is really exciting because just this small amount of content is creating an exponential amount of different ways to play the game. And therefore that's going to really increase the skill cap. It's going to require mastery, things to learn and keep things really exciting. Mm. And so, okay, that's step one done. We've got something we believe in. Let's prototype this or, or build an MVP, put it out into a stealth launch and get a real health check on the KPIs. Fortunately, six times lucky, um, <laughs> we we got some really strong data and that mm. thing gave us the confidence that we should spend more time, we should put more resources into this. Yeah. Uh, and that's then when we put Fable 1 into production, what, nearly 16 months ago now. Okay. Well, mm. Cool. And I guess um, maybe I'll do my explanation. And you can tell me if, I, if, I, if I'm how correct I am. So, so as you say, people will basically own effectively they're sort of like floating islands if you look at them. Um, uh, and they're sort of quite they're relatively sort of the ones I've seen are sort of relatively small, not these you know, massive these things, but they're, they're sort of like a very different shapes. And then you have sort of defensive armaments and, and and traps and things that you just sort of lay out. Um, 
as you say, as you see fit, however you want to sort of lay your defences and then players sort of materialise in and they have to make their way through um, the, the base and then they basically sort of, I uh, can't remember what it's called. Actually. You, you sort of dist- you destroyed like the the HQ. It's yeah. not an HQ, but it's like a um, sort of fantasy style HQ. And, and and as you as you sort of attack the base, you're sort of gaining. You're sort of basically stealing the resources from that. And and, um, uh, and I guess another nice touch was with your character. Also, your character sort of can, or if you maybe make it through, and, and and your character hasn't died. But if your character does die, there's a sort of um, you have to then sort of spend resources to sort of sort of build them back up again. Um, so there's yes. a, it, in blockchain, we're often looking about sort of you know um, sort of uh, how a resource is spent in the game, and that's sort of quite a nice sort of um, there's something quite a nice holistic sort of way of that risk reward. I think you know some people it's, just don't exactly. care about the risk; they go for the reward. But other people are a bit more cautious. And, and but but as you say, that's adding different sorts of play sort of um, styles you know, inherently into the game, which is you know you're sort of getting that for free. That's the sort of the psychological exactly. Thing. And what's really exciting there is even when you're away from the game mm. you know you're still participating because your base might be attacked and yeah. you come back watch the replay of how mm. you absolutely destroyed your hero yeah your your opponent's hero yeah and you get rewards for that okay mm. uh, and, and so that's really exciting that there's these two very different core components of the game the raiding aspect mm. where you control the hero and you decide like i say what to attack and how to attack that base but then when you're away, all the work that you've just done in setting your base and trying to optimize this defense system that you've created mm. gets put to work. Uh, and, and that is really satisfying, particularly when you come in and you go, wow, look, I've just stolen tons of gold and now I can mm. spend it on this unit while I was away from the game, you know, yeah. at school or on the bus or on a call. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that that was really exciting to see players discover that core loop as well and that feedback loop it's almost like a, the farming mechanic in in um in like farm farm bill isn't it you sort of you want to come as a, although they had, they, had, they had wither didn't they so i remember that being sort of quite controversial that something if you came into Farmville at the wrong time all your crops had withered which is it was a really bad experience but obviously that they were trying to drive you to come back to make sure they hadn't withered but but i think it's always nice to come back to a game and you go oh there's some stuff for me to pick up you know, it's very a very light psychological boost but it's sort exactly of, yeah sort of nice Exactly. And, and if you don't, you, there's a feedback loop there to watch replays and mm. try and optimize, say, okay, well, how did this hero get past? What yeah. did they do? Should I tweak my defense? Should I move this unit here? Should I upgrade that unit or even buy a new unit? Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and so we're excited by, you know, all the different possibilities that mm. players are going to create. And, and that's the beauty of the core loop is that, you know, we're not creating those bases. It's yep. all player created, and uh, okay. we're excited to you know see what they build. I have to say, it sort of reminds me. I, I when um I, I I was probably the only person in the world who really enjoyed the free to free to play version of Dungeon Keeper, where they they had a really deep sort of you know you're building your dungeon and and people would yeah. attack it. And, uh, but that was very controversial back in the day because it was free to play and Peter Molyneux had this had sort of got, got caught up in that. Anyway, we weren't going to that. so anyway um so, so thinking about more about Fableborn. So you've spent you know you you've, you've come up. With five games, killed them. Got, got one you like. Done some testing around it. Can see, um, you know, it's, it's, it's got a, got a lot. Hopefully, a lot of potential. Obviously, you need to polish it and stuff. So, at what point? I mean, I know you're already planning on this, but but you know, to to some outsider, you go. We've got a really interesting mobile game. Should point out, you're a free to play mobile studio. That's always what you're looking to do. Yes. Um, so why don't you just go to investors and go? We've got this great free to play mobile game. It's going to be really. It's got this great sort of 
different, you can play it in different ways. It's got the you know, sort of like, you know, like a, we'll talk about the esports bit maybe, you know, it's got some sort of some elements of that. Um, we think it's really good. Why'd you go? And now we're going to add blockchain. So, so that, that's always the question we sort of get asked in this space. Why blockchains? Yeah, yeah, it's technology, but yeah. no one, really, no one needs it. There's no, it's not, not giving us anything. It's giving us sure, sure. So, so we started looking at blockchain back in 2020. Mm. Uh, and myself, I've invested in VV, uh, the blockchain marketplace with all the oh, digital yeah. license collectibles. Yeah. Uh, is extremely successful. They were looking at blockchain technology in 2017 mm. when I invested. Uh, I've obviously been into crypto slightly longer uh, before that. And so I've always been really excited about the technology. Didn't really understand or look at how it can be implemented in gaming. And so after mm. we killed our fourth title uh, back in 2020, we started to look at blockchain and VV was starting to also gain traction. So I had one eye as being on, on, on the board and being able to see that entire ecosystem grow and all the things they had yeah. had to experiment with. I started to see how that was engaging this community. And of course, Axie hadn't started to explode, yeah. but you could start to see the breadcrumb trail um, and, and the low-hanging fruit. And um, that's when we started to really think about, is this potentially the next paradigm shift in gaming? And when I think of paradigm shifts in gaming, I always center it again around the monetization loop. Okay. monetization model and mm. we can go back in history to to validate that you know obviously now we were at free to play and that was play play forever and pay never potentially <laughs> yeah and then prior to that we had premium games which was play once or, or play forever and pay once uh, and then prior to that we had arcade which was play once pay once mm. and so each of these different monetization models has created a few different shifts. One, how as us, as a team, as a game designer, as game designers, think about creating that content. Uh, and then two, how players actually experience and consume that content. Uh, and that then fundamentally changes the gaming landscape as we've seen over the last three decades. And so when we start to look at, or particularly when I start to look at VV and how they were monetizing their players, but also how players were consuming this digital collectible content and what they were doing with that digital collectible. We started to think about, well, what does that do to gaming? Uh, and we always center it around two main questions. How does this technology either create a completely new experience that doesn't exist mm -hmm. for players or two, how does it exponentially improve the player experience that yep. currently exists? Uh, and we go back to those two questions all the time. And if we can't come up with real reasons, you know, reasons that add value to the player, then we just wouldn't add a technology because as, mm. as you see, and as everyone knows, there's a lot of barriers still. There's a lot of UX challenges. Uh, there's a lot of unknown unknowns on regulatory side, etc. So you have to have real conviction that what you're building actually really improves experience rather than it just being another piece of technology that allows you to create the same experience. So mm. we had that conviction. We went back and forth quite a lot. Mm. We obviously prototyped what that could look like in our fifth title that we, we killed. And then we learned a lot about that, but also learned a lot in observing the industry. We've been very intentional with not releasing a token 
yeah. not releasing an NFT collection before having a game that we can scale yeah. and believing a game that we have can scale. And so we focus still always on, you know, the fundamentals and those two questions. How do we build an experience that is either new, players haven't had it before, or exponentially improves what they're currently playing? Mm-hmm. I guess sort of continuing that on, this is a game where people don't need NFTs to play. They can Correct. play. I mean, the, the the main NFT element um, is, the, is the sort of the character you're actively playing with. Um, with the you know, active controls, as you sort of pointed out. Um, uh, so people want to get one of those for free if they're playing the game. If people want to come in and buy an NFT, one of that, where they can sort of choose different rarities and stuff, they can do that as well. But um, there's sort of two different paths there. Uh, and you have a path for, I guess, the best or the better free players can maybe win an NFT through sort of tournament structure. So, so you're yeah. sort of leaving it very open. Yeah, so... The first few sessions absolutely are going to be exposing the player to the core game. You know, if you don't have a player that retains and engages, you've yeah. got no economy. Yeah. Uh, and so the first few sessions are going to be focused around you know, the, the core game, the building mechanics, why and how to raid effectively, why it's important to build a base. Mm. And then, of course, we, we've got a couple of ideas on how we onboard players. One you obviously mentioned is with different heroes. Uh, and since you can take free heroes into any raid, you're going to okay. be incentivized to have heroes of different classes. Mm. Heroes are going to be personable as well, or, or can be personalized with abilities and equipment. Uh, and so how your hero plays compared to mine, even if it's the same hero, could still be very different uh, based on what you've mm. uh, attributed to them uh, or what you've equipped to them. Uh, the second is through... Pixian League, so that's our tournament platform that we're building, uh, and, and the raise that we've just closed will go some way to helping us build that tournament platform. Essentially, what that is is supercharging our live ops. So with one tap, one button, the tournaments are all in app. Okay. That gives players the ability to enter into this really exciting event that will be timed, have specific winning conditions, different rules, different rewards. And that acts as a really exciting on-ramp for players that want to get involved. Mm. Importantly, you know, they make the decision. Do I want to be involved? And what's the reward? Yeah. You know, they, they're able to make that decision for themselves. And so we're bringing in players that are excited about this rather than force-feeding or, or pushing mm. it down their throats. Yeah, exactly. But the other part is we, again, were very intentional before we wrote a line of code is how do we build this game with a really deep meta that can provide a route to winning and winning is defined very differently for different players but provide a route or multiple routes for of winning for these different players with different motivations within the same experience mm. uh, and that's where we start to blend these two genres together in action rpg and, and base building strategy because it allowed us to create this really deep meta games and different player lanes for them to go through you know we see players that some they don't like to raid they're not good at raiding and so they mm. focus all their time on building this impenetrable base <laughs> okay, right? yeah. the others are really really prefer the the more action orientated game 
tactical side of the game, which is mm. the raiding. And so they focus a lot on upgrading their heroes, spend all their resources on the heroes. Uh, and they they create a very different experience for themselves compared, compared to the base builder. Mm. Uh, equally, because UGC is a, a, a real native component of the game, we're really excited about how those islands that are on chain empower players to create these experiences for other players. And we think that's going to be a really exciting on-ramp because if you've got this island and it's an NFT mm. and you're my buddy and I go, cool, John, that's that's an amazing island. And it's in it's one of the islands that have been selected in the speed run for the next Pixie League tournament. Mm. And so you've built this cool base. You're accruing value from all the tickets Yep. for the Pixie League. Mm. Uh, and you're also being able to brag about your base being one of the you know, 15 or 20 that have been selected. Mm-hmm. We think that's going to be a really strong social mechanic and, and act as a really strong on-ramp for players to go, well, I'd like to also build a base that can be submitted to Pixie League mm. and be, potentially be used in tournaments. And the beauty for us as a studio is that it creates free revenue streams for three different stakeholders. One, of course, us as a studio. Two, the actual players that compete in this tournament, you know, the the winners. Uh, And then three, the actual creators. So you as the base builder who submitted this base and it was selected, you've created this lane for yourself that allows you to accrue value. But importantly, you've created value for the ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. Not, it's not something you can just idly sit back and stake and in 10, 10 months you've 10x'd. And yeah. so that game, we've been very intentional. And before, like I say, we, we wrote even a single line of code. There was weeks and weeks and weeks of just constant back and forth of do we have the right fundamentals from a game design perspective, mm. of what we believe the meta could be. And again, we benefited from just observing the space over the last two years as well. Mm. No, I think that is a very sort of clear, there's two sort of clear trends then that, that you mentioned there. So, I mean, UGC, I think in general, general within games now, people sort of understand that that is a very powerful mechanic. Sort of quite hard to get it up and running. There is a sort of cold start problem. You have a lot of these sort of things and obviously building out tools is different to building games. There's, there is a getting tools people can build is not, is not the easiest thing. But, but anyway, within UGC is sort of powerful. Um, but certainly within blockchain, where there are, as you say, there you're, you're you're allowing people who have different skills to show those skills in a you know in their own way without having to do lots of things they're not good at. Um, but but then it's, it's also um, how how you you have something that's valuable and it doesn't just sort of sit there as a static asset and you you just basically go oh I've made tons of money and I'll sort of sell it off. It's, <laughs> I imagine if you if you're a, you know if you if you really are good at the at the creation side then you're probably creating you're not creating one island you're creating a whole bunch and then you're you, then other people are competing to get in the next sort of uh, tournament so you have to keep updating yours so, so there is this this sort of exactly. idea that i think games are really good at creating value that people care about but then the thing the thing developers like you have sort of sort of worked out now is then you have to have some sort of mechanic where people then have to continue to invest and i don't mean spending tons of money in it but there is some sort of um dynamism around that and if you just don't do anything with them then then you're just not going to keep up with other people in a competitive 
as much as yeah, there are competitive players and there's you know competitive people who build things. <laughs> um, and, yeah, and, exactly. And, that, and that's the sort of the, that's the circularity of the of the economy, isn't it? Absolutely, and um, again, that's again we're very intentional with with what the actual core loop is because you're mm. you're, you're very right in that UGC requires this critical mass. Yeah. And how do you go from zero to a hundred uh, in between? What's that journey, and how do you create that adoption? And so mm. that's where it was very important for us that without this Pixie League element uh, and without base builders creating content for these tournaments. Mm. Core Loop, they're already learning about building a base, how to build a base, the different units, uh, just from playing the Core Loop. Uh, and so once we start to introduce those tournaments as an on-ramp to further expand that experience and, and really level up the UGC side of Fableborn, you know, we've already started to build this community. We've already started to educate players on how to build compelling and engaging mm. For others, yeah. now we're just giving them the platform through the tournaments to curate what that experience is uh, before it's shared with other players. Cool, good. Um, so coming to the end, I guess the important thing now is sort of uh, you can talk a bit more. I know there's some things you can't say, but sort of w w where you are in development. You've been running. I think this is your fourth or fifth closed beta that you've been doing with the community. Pretty much all this year, you've been sort of. Uh, releasing builds and letting people get on with it um so what, what can you say about the i guess we've got six months left in, in 20, 2023 what, what should we be expecting yeah so we like you say spent the first six months really optimizing the core loop it's something we already validated mm. at the end of last year and now it was about extending that experience further and, and adding things like the hot swapping feature for the heroes allowing you to take more than one hero so just extending that yeah. that core loop We've really focused now on some of the deeper progression systems. Um, you're going to see a much longer tail when it comes to engagement of what you can do within Fableborn. Uh, we talked about obviously Pixie League and, and the tournaments. You'll certainly see that this year. Okay. And now we've got the base. You know, I, I said earlier on we we're intentional in not selling any NFTs or mm. selling a token. We're still not going to be introducing any token. Um, but we've got a very clear idea now of, of what those on-chain assets and, and how they fit within Pixie League and how they fit within the core loop of Fableborn. So expect to see more information and news uh, about that later this year too. Okay, cool. Good, good. Within the confines of what you can say, that's uh, that's exciting, I think. <laughs> and for, for people who do uh, who do want to get involved, I guess Discord is always the um, is, is the place to go and, and, and get a feel of, of what's going on. And maybe if you're lucky enough, get into some of the testing. Yes, Fableborn uh, on Twitter or Discord. We've got a, a test actually next Wednesday, so just over a week's time. Okay. It's going to be our last close play test. Okay. There's going to be some incredible rewards coming out of that as well. So. Uh, if anyone's interested, for sure, take a look at Twitter or Discord. That's where myself and the team are most active. And does it, if that's the last closed test, does that mean there'll be some some open tests before too long? There'll, there'll be some <laughs> open tests in the very near future, for sure. Good, good. Excellent. Cool. Well, thank you very much, Cam. That was really good uh, to get a deep dive into what you've been building. Um, and, and I think this is, this is actually one of the... One of the podcasts where we've actually gone the most depth into a into an actual sort of product. So I think that's sort of quite good from a design point of view. I hope people sort of have enjoyed the way you've sort of gone through the process of 
you know, thinking about stuff and, 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 and then adding things in. Um, so thank you very much for your time. No, thank you for having me. Really, really fun to share our story. Cool. Good. Um, and thanks to you for, for watching, listening, however you are consuming uh, the podcast. Hope you are enjoying it. Every episode, we're talking to people who are building out uh, this, this, this sort of new way of, of playing games, of being involved in games, in, in, in uh, spending money in games, and maybe making money in games. A whole bunch, bunch of stuff all being mixed up. And, and I think it is fascinating. So everyone's coming up with their own you know, particular flavor. There's a whole bunch of these tools out there. Uh, and very few of these games well at least at least this year a lot maybe last year everyone was coming up with the same game <laughs> but thankfully we've moved on a bit now and everyone's sort of using using the this uh the tools in a slightly different way and coming up with, with i think something innovative so uh please subscribe uh please keep coming back and uh, see you next time goodbye oh i got my, I got my little jingle <laughs>